focus on headline. And let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters Handan and Ijian. Guys, welcome back. Good Thanks evening. for having us. All right, uh, guys, we're going to start things off here with President Yoon Sagir uh, soon to embark on his uh, state visit to Southeast Asia. It's going to be his first state visit to the region there to attend a series of multilateral summits, uh, this including uh, the big G20 summit over in Bali. Uh, regional security and economic issues are expected to take center stage there. Uh, Tan, first and foremost, give us a rundown of what we need to know there. Well, this one's going to be a bit of a lengthy one because uh, uh, back-to-back multilateral summits are in schedule involving the Association of Southeast Asian Nations and the group of G20 members. President Yoon will depart for Phnom Penh, Cambodia this Friday for a three-day stay there to attend the South Korea ASEAN Summit, where he'll unveil a so-called Korea-ASEAN Solidarity Vision that will outline South Korea's Indo-Pacific strategy for freedom, peace, and prosperity and its new vision for solidarity with the Southeast Asian bloc. On Saturday, President Yoon will attend the ASEAN Plus Three Summit, which involves ASEAN, South Korea, Japan, and China, where he will unveil Seoul's plans to increase practical cooperation between ASEAN and the East Asian neighbors. Uh, ASEAN Plus Three was established in 1997 to jointly tackle the Asian financial crisis, but um, since then it has been functioning as a regional cooperative body to address various regional issues of mutual concern. And on Sunday, President Yoon is due to take part in the East Asia Summit, or EAS, in which he plans to lay out South Korea's basic stance on regional as well as global issues, while also emphasizing the country's commitment to contributing to peace, freedom, and prosperity. Uh, The East Asia Summit is a strategic forum that primarily focuses on key regional security issues. And so North Korea's uh, seemingly endless missile provocations and possible nuclear test will likely uh, be discussed. After taking part in these three main summits in Cambodia, President Yoon will fly to Bali, Indonesia, where this year's G20 summit will be held. But before he attends the big meeting, he'll first check in at the B20 summit to hold various economic, uh, to discuss various economic issues with business groups and entrepreneurs from the G20 nations. On Tuesday, the last day of his Southeast Asia tour, he'll make appearance at the G20 summit, where he's set to give a speech during a session on global food, energy, security, and health. He will also attend leaders' luncheon hosted by Indonesia and a welcome dinner later that day. Bilateral summits with uh, participating leaders will also likely uh, to take place on the sidelines. And according to uh, a presidential office official, talks are being held to arrange a meeting between President Jun Sang-yeol and U.S. President Joe Biden. President Yoon will cut short of the remaining events in Bali and head home late Tuesday night. He's expected to land in Seoul early Wednesday. His back-to-back diplomacy doesn't end there. Immediately after his return, he's scheduled to hold summits with visiting Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte next Thursday and with Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez the following day. That's right. And of course, uh, we mentioned uh, not too long ago here in our program that the reason why President Yoon is going to rearrange his schedule and maybe 
cut some of his itinerary a bit short is uh, due to some of the situation here uh, on in Korea. But uh, whenever President Yoon goes on these multinational tour, I mean, one particular area that garners a lot of the attention as much as the summits are, of course, very important is sales diplomacy, uh, even during his uh, attendance at the, the NATO summit. Of course, sales diplomacy was one of the topics that we discussed uh, in regards to Yoon being there. But uh, what, what's the top office's focus this time, though, Tanya? It appears the top office is going a bit further than just sales diplomacy this time. As Senior Presidential Secretary for Economic Affairs, Che sang uh, says sales diplomacy strengthening supply chain of advanced industries and building infrastructure for digital partnership are the three key words of economic cooperation with participating nations. He explained that uh, ASEAN is the world's fifth largest economic bloc and the second most important trade partner and foreign investment market for South Korea. He assessed that the ASEAN economic bloc has a huge potential to expand cooperation with Korea in diverse fields as it has complementary industrial structures with Korea. He added that uh, ASEAN is Korea's important strategic partner as it serves as the newly emerging hub of global production lines, possesses abundant critical minerals and raw materials with a huge consumer market. All right. Of course, uh, during his um, uh, summits and uh, his uh, trip overseas to Southeast Asia, Asia, we'll have our thorough coverage on that as well. Of course, more information on that next week's uh, program. Um, also, uh, we're going to talk about North Korea now. By the way, Patrick Pierce are saying North Koreans ever run out of missiles. Well, I mean, certainly <laughs> it doesn't seem like right now, uh, which is also really concerning, especially for the country that's you know considered one of the most impoverished countries in the world. That mm-hmm. we even talked about how you know each missile that they uh, uh, fire cost something like two to five million dollars or something like that. But uh, again, a lot of money being spent on these uh, missiles right now. But with all the existing sanctions, I mean, it's got to be a huge financial burden for North Korea. So it's not surprising to hear that the communist state has done a lot of you know shady overseas operations to raise cash for Pyongyang. We even talked about all these uh, hackers who steal cryptocurrency mm-hmm. and things like that to fund their nuclear program. Now, the United States, again, imposing sanctions on two uh, representatives of North Korean uh, National Airline Air Korea, accusing them of facilitating Pyongyang's ballistic missile and other weapon development programs here. Jian, let's get the details of that. Sure. Now, the sanctions followed a recent barrage of ballistic missile launched by North Korea, including an intercontinental ballistic missile earlier this month, with concern growing that Pyongyang will carry out its first nuclear test in years. Now, the U.S. Treasury Department stated that one of the two individuals, one Lee Sok, has been an Air Korea representative in China and was involved in transporting electronic parts from China to North Korea on behalf of the DPRK government. Now, the other person, Yang Ziyong, has been a logistics manager with Air Korea and has facilitated the transportations of goods to North Korea. Now, Yan was the primary point of contact and intermediary for shipments destined for the DPRK and uh, has used a Beijing-based company to transport goods into North Korea. So Yan was pretty much the middleman in all of these operations. Now, the sanctions freeze uh, the assets held by the designated individuals in the United States and prohibit them from engaging in transactions with Americans. Again, that's not the only new sanctions that were imposed against uh, 
North Korean entities here. U.S. Treasury mm-hmm. Department also reissuing sanctions on the Tornado Cash cryptocurrency mixer service. Now, we talked about how uh, North Korean hackers have been stealing cryptocurrency and so forth, right? And they're accusing the platform of helping North Korean government hackers launder money Chiang, what's this about? Now, the the ban on uh, Tornado Cash was first uh, imposed this year in August on the grounds that the Arithium coin mixing service, which can be and has been used to obscure the proceeds of cybercrime, was being used by hackers such as North Korea's notorious hacking group called the Lazarus Group to launder stolen funds. And in the latest announcement from the U.S. Treasury, Tornado Cash has been accused of helping the North Korean government hackers launder more than 455 million stolen in March 2022. Now, the State Department spokesman uh, Ned Price said that the group's hacks specifically support North Korea's weapons of mass destruction program. But the move had proven controversial, actually in part because some argued that Tornado Cash was less an organization than just a set of software and that the Treasury is targeting a service and not an organization, i.e. North Korea. Now, under uh, Secretary of the Treasury for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence, Brian Nelson said uh, these sanctions target two key lumps of the DPRK's weapon program. One, uh, increasing a reliance on its its, uh, illicit activities, including cybercrime to generate revenue, and two, its ability to procure and transport goods in support of weapons of mass destructions and ballistic mixile programs. Yeah, but you know, here's the problem though. I mean, you know, we have all these different sanctions in place. You know, there's the U.S. sanctions, South Korea also imposing similar sanctions, mm-hmm. the EU, uh, you know, slapping sanctions on North Korea and the North Korea. It's not the first time Eric Korea was mentioned in these sanctions as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact is, I mean, it's not really stopping them uh, from their missile tests or their nuclear tests or the nuclear development. Uh, and so a lot of people are saying, well, I mean, it's more symbolic than anything. Uh, if anything, the thing that is going to really uh, place a burden on North Korea are the, the UN Security Council resolutions, mm-hmm. which hasn't been being passed because of vetoes, the veto power from China and Russia. But they're saying, though, that the consensus right now, because recently at the UN General Assembly, we had uh, the, the the resolution on uh, going up against uh, North Korea's nuclear test or something like that. Uh, China and Russia actually voted uh, against North Korea. North Korea was the only country that actually said, oh, you know, nay. Uh, we're going to continue to uh, develop our nuclear weapons. And so they're going, uh-oh. So if there is a UN Security Council resolution being passed, if North Korea does conduct a seventh nuclear pass, test, that China and Russia will probably not veto as they normally would. And the UN Security Council resolution would probably impact North Korea more than the sanctions that we're talking about here. And uh, speaking of which, I mean, that, you know, whether or not the you know, the security UNSC uh, resolutions will put, put, put be put up is if North Korea does end up conducting their seventh nuclear test. Uh, we talked about yesterday how there was a lack of activity, especially at the Yongbyon nuclear uh, facility area there. But now a top U.S. think tank has spotted increased activity 
at that very nuclear facility. Tan, let's get the latest there. Right, according to 38 North, recent commercial satellite imagery of the Yongbyon Nuclear Scientific Research Center showed ongoing fissile material production. Vehicles and personnel continue to move around the complex and evidence of activity was apparent, the latest imagery showed. The think tank said that it is worth noting that older, outdated and derelict buildings are being raised and new smaller buildings are being added in their place, which points to a systematic approach to upgrading and modernizing the key facilities around the complex. Uh, What's particularly concerning is that based on activity observed at the 5-megawatt reactor, including light traffic and continued water discharge into uh, a nearby river, the think tank presumes the reactor has been operating since July of last year. It said the latest image showed several vehicles around the reactor with unidentified materials on the bed, while a similarly configured flatbed vehicle was also spotted in the motor pool area of the radiochemical laboratory. It analyzed that this might signal the movement of these vehicles and their cargo between the two locations. The new building under construction southwest of the radiochemical laboratory is getting its roof installed. It appears to be a two-story structure, but its purpose is yet unknown. Light activities were also spotted around the experimental light water reactor, but the reactor status remains unclear. Construction and the new support building located immediately south of the engineering building appears to be completed, but it appears additional uh, buildings are also uh, being planned. 38 North, however, stated there are no signs that reprocessing has started or is imminent. The thermal plant is not operating and activities observed around the spent fuel building as seen earlier this year have ceased. The last known plutonium reprocessing campaign occurred in spring of last year. The uranium enrichment plant complex, it said, best captures the ongoing modernization process with sunlight beaming through the walls and windows, suggesting the interior is being gutted, while a detached tower building near the complex is similarly in the process of being raised. Uh, It reported, it analyzed that uh, while construction dominated the uh, observed activity, operations continued within the complex uh, as emissions were being vented from the enrichment plant and uh, possibly from the hydrogen fluoride plant as well. That's right. I mean, uh, you know, we've only been for the past uh, year now, we've been speculating when uh, North Korea was going to eventually uh, conduct their seventh nuclear test. You know, we had different dates that were put in place. I remember earlier this year, we were saying that, well, North Korea really likes to, uh, you know, get these massive uh, provocations during uh, major U.S. holidays like the you Fourth know, of July, Independence Day. That didn't happen. We were saying that it might happen in between China's major uh, political con- uh, the the Congress meeting that they recently had, or between the U.S. midterm elections, which I think the polls are closed by now. And so it would have happened right now. Or is North Korea trying to throw everyone off guard and just pick a random date here? We'll have to find out. But. This afternoon, uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff announcing that North Korea 
has launched yet another uh, ballistic missile towards the EC here. Cheung, let's, let's get the latest on this. Uh, sure. Now, North Korea fired a short-range ballistic missile into the EC this afternoon. And according to the Chief, Joint Chiefs of Staff, North Korea uh, fired it from Sukchon Pyongan Namdo province at 3.31 p.m. Uh, into the east. Uh, into the EC. Now, the military is analyzing detailed specifications such as speed, flight distance, and altitude of this uh, particular missile. And the Joint Chiefs of Staff said that they are uh, maintaining a full readiness posture while uh, closely cooperating with uh, their ally, United States, while strengthening su- uh, surveillance and vigilance. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we, we said this earlier this week uh, when uh, we were reporting on. Uh, South Korea's uh, military kicking off their four-day computer-simulated tech drills, right, mm-hmm. uh, that we were going to be met with yet another North Korean provocation. It was just a matter of when it's going to be, and uh, this is uh, what we're seeing. Uh, but, uh, Chiang, what do we know What do we know in terms of last week's missile test that uh, the recovered debris of a North Korean missile fired towards the south was determined to be a Soviet-era anti-aircraft weapon mm-hmm. That dates back to the 1960s. Now, we, we, we also mentioned yesterday on the show that a lot of their uh, military equipment and their warplanes and tanks and things like that, they're like Soviet-era uh, equipments. Mm-hmm. But uh, missile, uh, okay, uh, can you tell us more about this? Uh, sure. Uh, South Korea's uh, defense ministry said that an analysis of uh, the three-meter-long wreckage fetched from waters near the Korean's Eastern Sea boundary on Sunday showed it was one of North Korea's SA-5 surface-to-air missiles. Now, the ministry said that a similar missile was used by the Russian military to execute ground attacks during its invasion of Ukraine. Now, the SA-5 is known to have a maximum range of 260 to 300 kilometers, flying an apogee of some 40 kilometers. Now, the Navy uh, used a remotely operated underwater vehicle to salvage the debris on Sunday, which included the missile's four main wings and parts of uh, its liquid fuel tank and the engine and the nozzle. Now, the retrieved parts of the missile had Russian writing on on the surface, suggesting the North assembled uh, imported parts of the weapon developed in the Soviet era. Uh, a military official told uh, reporters that whether this missile is Russian-made or or cannot, that just cannot be confirmed. So yeah, we don't yeah. know if Russia sold this to the uh, to North Korea or North Korea just assembled these parts together. Now the ministry strongly condemned the North's. SA-5 missile firing as a violation of the inter-Korean military agreement signed on September 19, 2018, uh, to reduce border tensions um, at that time. And they also said that our military will not tolerate any North Korean provocation that poses a threat to our nationals' lives and safety, and that they will sternly deal with it under the South Korea-U.S. alliance. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, this could certainly be analyzed in a number of different ways, right? Again, I mean, North Korea has been test-firing an unprecedented number of missiles. So mm-hmm. just like uh, Patrick, like you said, I mean, are they ever going to run out of missiles? Maybe they're running out of, you know, because because they, 
one of the other reasons for why, because every time North Korea conducts these missile tests, they kind of mention it on you know state-run medias, mm-hmm. right? They go, you know, we test fire, blah blah blah, uh, and they usually don't report on it if there is no new developed missile or it's an old missile that they just fired away. Uh, but who knows? They could be running out of missiles right now, and so they're using these, you know, the, whatever they had in their stockpile there with these Soviet-era missiles, but. Still, though, uh, anytime we talk about these North Korean provocations, it's uh, very concerning. But uh, South Korea's state-run defense research agency planning to construct a new testing facility for uh, arms development. This to up defense against the now-evolving North Korean threats. Uh, Tan, what, what do we know so far? Right. The Agency for Defense Development, uh, widely known as the birthplace of Korea's strategic military weapons, is expected to build a new facility near its existing a weapons testing site in Taean, South Chungcheong Province, some 100 kilometers south of Seoul. The main goal is to boost Korea's defense capabilities against North Korea's ever more growing missile threats, uh, more specifically to beef up the three-axis system. The three-pronged system consists of the Kill Chain Preemptive Strike Platform, the Korea Massive Punishment and Retaliation, a program to target an adversary's leadership in a contingency, and the Korea Air and Missile Defense System, better known as the KAMD. But of course, the uh, envisioned facility will be designed to uh, test the country's other strategic weapons as well. The National Defense Committee uh, at the National Assembly has recently approved a proposed budget of some 1.4 billion won to support the start of the construction uh, next year with an aim of completing the construction in 2026. The project would cost a total of around 30 Five billion one. Let's move on here. Uh, continued uh, coverage on the uh, October 29th uh, tragedy. Uh, 156 lives in that uh, tragic incident. Law uh, being lost there. Um, of course, we've talked about this before. What moving forward here? Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of things that are important. Of course, the the mental aspect and the mental assistance, the psychological assistance given to people involved with this. Uh, but also even more important is to prevent anything like this from happening ever again in the future. That's why the government plans to establish a comprehensive uh, disaster safety plan by the end of this year. Uh, Chiang, tell us more about this. Sure. Now, the Ministry of the Interior and Safety, Lee Sang-min, held a meeting this morning and announced that a pan-government task force will be established to overhaul the country's disaster and safety management system to prevent anything like this to happen in the future, such as the Itaewon crowd crush. Now, the Interior Minister said that uh, to have that uh, uh, the government will devise comprehensive safety measures by the end of this year, which will include steps to improve the initial response system. Now, he said the measures will also include uh, preventative and science-based disaster management, as well as steps to enhance the ability to cope with complex and massive disasters. Lee also said that the government is providing full support for the families of the victims of the uh, Itaewon tragedy, as well as 18 people who are receiving treatment at the hospital at the moment. All right. So now, again, there's a lot of investigation going on. Okay. They're trying to find out, uh, you know, all the culprits, uh, entities, just individuals who may be responsible for this tragedy from happening. Uh, We talked about a special investigation team uh, looking into this uh, tragedy. They're really ramping up their probe right now. Uh, They're raiding 55 offices. 
across seven government institutions, confiscating 45 mobile phones related to officers to find out who's, again, responsible for the tragic incident. Now, this comes after a day, uh, the day after uh, President Yoon Suk-yeol took his aim directly at the police. We talked about this, saying that it has the primary responsibility to prevent safety accidents. Uh, Tan, let's get the latest developments in this front. Right. The special investigation team uh, is uh, speeding up its probe to get to the bottom of the Halloween stampede that killed 156 uh, most of them very young people. A total of uh, 55 offices were raided, including the offices of National Police Chief Yun Hee-gun and the chief of the Seoul Metropolitan Police Agency, Kim Kwang-ho. Other locations included offices of senior intelligence and situation monitoring officers of the Seoul Metropolitan Police and offices of the chiefs of police, ward office and fire department of Yongsan District, as well as Seoul Metropolitan Fire and Disaster Headquarters. The Seoul Metro Headquarters and the Itaewon Subway Station were also searched. Uh, so the, so we can see they're really expanding their yeah. investigation here to really get to the bottom of this. These aforementioned offices have been under fire. Uh, following revelations, there had been plenty of warning signs before the deadly accident occurred on October 29th, but they did little to prevent it and failed to respond in a timely manner. The raid comes after Im Jae, ex-chief of the Yongsan Police Station, Yongsan Ward Office Chief Park Kyung and Yongsan Police Station Chief Che Sung Bum have all been booked for an investigation on charges of professional negligence. National Police Chief Yoon Hee-gun and the chief of the Seoul Metropolitan Police Agency, Kim Kwang-ho, have also been under fire for failing to take steps in advance uh, and for uh, belatedly becoming aware of the deadly incident, which resulted in a bungled police response. Investigators also confiscated the mobile phones of key officials related to the tragic accident, including ex-Yongsan Police Chief E, to determine why he arrived at the accident scene 50 minutes after it occurred and why he belatedly informed the top police command of the emergency situation. Another focus of the investigation is on whether the Yongsan Ward Office sufficiently carried out its part in disaster prevention planning. Dan, I'm just going to make a quick correction mm-hmm. on one of the uh, the statements there. Uh, Yongsan uh, Fire Station Chief Che Sung Bum, uh, and because oh, right, 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 right because that was the big controversy, mm-hmm. right? You know, we know about uh, uh, the Fire Station Chief uh, Che Sung Bum and his uh, the press briefings that he held, and a right. lot of people are saying that you know, well, I mean, the Yongsan Fire Department did all they can at right. that time, and so why is he one of the people that's being questioned that's right. at this time? So just a quick uh, right. correction on right. that so, front. So to to make it clear once again, ex-chief of the Yongsan Police Station Im Jae, Yongsan Ward Office Chief Park Ki Young, and Yongsan Fire Department Chief Che Sung Bum right. have all been booked for an investigation. There you have it. Uh, also, the special investigation team uh, taking aim at the Hamilton Hotel, uh, joining the site of the deadly Taiwan crowd crush as well. There's been talks about some uh, illegal construction that was going on there. I don't know if you guys. Uh, have been in that area in the you know in the past uh, few months. There's there's always been like a construction going on there, I believe. Tan, what do we know so far in in regarding this investigation? Well, the team launched a formal investigation on the chief executive of the hotel, the Hamilton Hotel, on charges of unauthorized structural constructions around the hotel building 
and possible unauthorized use of roads for private purposes. The CEO is expected to be summoned for questioning as a suspect as early as this week. The team also raided the hotel and nearby areas over suspicions that it's illegally extended building structures further, uh, which further narrowed the alley where the crowd crush happened. Fourteen investigators were sent to Hamilton Hotel, the home uh, of the hotel CEO and other locations to seize documents and hotel management and administrative licenses. The hotel's building ledger showed it illegally extended over 17 square meter terrace on its northern side of the main building and installed other illegal structures as well. My question is, uh, I'm sure they knew this before. You know, why talk about it? Why bring this up uh, after the accident has happened? I mean, I mean, th- that construction has been going on for quite a bit right now. I mean, they, st- they must have seen what was going on there, questioned the people. Hey, listen, all the things you're doing right now, it's illegal. Maybe stop it and trying to you know, fix things. Uh, it just baffles me how they bring this up after uh, this inc- incident happens. Uh, Benny, yes, uh, as he said, uh, he's really shocked uh, pointing out the Yongsanggu Fire Department chief and how he's being questioned uh, as well. I think yeah, I mean that uh, sentiment is being shared mm-hmm. by a lot of people. Uh, speaking of the fire department and wake of this uh, disaster, the firefighters union urging the government to recruit more firefighters and other safety personnel, not to mention come up with a plan to heal the first responders uh, who are, I'm sure, Uh, suffering from PTSD. And this is an issue that has been brought up by the fire department before. But with this recent tragedy, the request means volumes right now. Mm -hmm, That's right. Uh, The National Firefighters Union um, held a press conference at the main gate of Seoul City Hall this morning, which is also the 60th anniversary of Firefighters Day. Now, the firefighters said um, during the Itaewon disaster, Firefighters fought hard to save at least one life, and we tried our best, but it wasn't enough, unquote. Now, the Firefighters Union emphasized that our society is becoming larger and more complex, and the public's demand for safety is also increasing. So it's important to understand that horrific scenes uh, from an actual event uh, usually leaves scars that will never be erased in the memories of the firefighters for the rest of their lives. Uh, That's why they urge the government to have uh, structural programs, systemized programs to help these firefighters to over overcome their PTSD. Now, the fact that suicide rate of firefighters is higher than any other occupation in Korea is closely related to post-traumatic stress disorder, and that the reality is that there is nowhere that they can go to overcome this trauma. Now, the Firefighters Union also emphasized that uh, it's not a sacrifice that firefighters have to endure by themselves, and that it's something that requires public attention and government-led measures. Now, the union also urged the government to change the position, their firefighters, that their position, their uh, government official position to a national position 
instead of a local position. Yeah, yeah. Now, currently, South Korea's fire department isn't under the central government, so they get their orders and budget from the local government, which is different from the police. Now, the de- police department is under the central government, so the firefighting firefighters are asking the government to change their chain of command so that they can be on the same page with the police force and national security. So they can be efficiently dispatched during a national disaster. Now, this has been an ongoing issue for quite some time, and I hope that the government can consider or at least have a dialogue with the Firefighters Union on this topic. Now, as I mentioned, today's the 60th anniversary of Firefighters Day in Korea, and I hope uh, we can take this chance to also thank the fire department for doing their part. Yeah, and uh, Polina Maldonado chiming in our live YouTube saying just that, uh, firefighters for me are heroes. Uh, well done for mm-hmm. doing their best. And again, we talked about the firefighters, the first responders, the police mm-hmm. officers uh, who are on scene. They should not get any of the blame uh, for what had happened. But uh, speaking of uh, the fire department not being under the central government, that was the other thing that they were, you know people have been pushing for, right, mm-hmm. when we had these massive uh, wildfires. Uh, but another thing that really needs to change is, I think, just the society and how we think about getting mental help. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still a stigma. It's a taboo to uh, ask for uh, psychological help right. and seeing a psychiatrist and things. People think that you're crazy if you see a psychiatrist. I think that's another thing that we need to uh, change. Um, but, you know, what we saw, uh, again, so, Tan, you, you were saying that it was, you know, you couldn't sleep looking at uh, some right. of the, the videos, uh, footages of what happened on that day. Uh, and uh, some of the sites that we did see was basically everyone and anyone uh, who knew how to conduct the CPR uh, or cardiopulmonary resuscitation tried to lend the help. And... Um, it's just talk, you know, hearing some of the interviews that were coming out on the news feed. There were a lot of people saying, only if I also knew mm. how to administer CPR uh, so that they could lend a helping hand in emergencies like this. And apparently now, uh, many South Koreans are rushing to learn how to administer CPR. Tell us more about this, Tanya. Right. The deadly crowd crush uh, sparked widespread interest among South Koreans in CPR that can help save lives during cardiac emergencies. Like you said, SJ, we saw um, numerous videos on various social media platforms after the accident uh, of citizens giving a CPR, lending a helping in and giving a CPR to save more lives as much as they could. Uh, And it really was a wake up call to all of us on the importance of uh, CPR in uh, cardiac emergencies. According to Kangwon Fire Department headquarters, over 2,300 people signed up for PCR training. CPR. Uh, CPR, right. Yes. And the figure is expected to soar to 15,000 by wow. the end of this month as they're getting almost double uh, the amount of calls they normally receive for the CPR lesson. So over 2,300 people signed up after the incident. Mm. So that is quite a, a lot uh, a big figure there. Last year, some 806,000 people took time to learn how to administer CPR, but the fire department expects a much larger number of people to flock in uh, for the training by the year end. Not only individuals, but schools and various institutions are making group training registrations as well. The Welfare Ministry plans to expand CPR-related budget and manpower next year, while the Ministry of uh, Gender Equality and Family plans to actively conduct 
first aid training, such as CPR uh, trainings at youth facilities nationwide, and mandate first aid training for workers at various facilities. Do you, do you guys know how to administer CPR by any chance? Uh, yeah, I do. You do? I don't. I, yeah. I, I, I don't. I'm, I, I'm, I'm very ashamed of myself, but I don't. Oh, no, I mean, I, you shouldn't be ashamed because I feel like a lot of people don't really learn it. And mm. I think that's the other thing. I think it should be taught. I don't know if in Korea, like they have health classes, like because in the mm-hmm. U.S. They have, you have to take health classes. But even at health classes, we don't learn how to do I think uh, in CPR. Korea, we just learn it theoretically during physical education. Oh, yeah. uh, really? Is mm. that what it is? Yeah. But and I, if it's a requirement, I think a lot of people would love because I... I myself, it was a requirement for me for my job, my, okay. my former job. So I needed to have that uh, CPR uh, 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 training, training yeah. in order to, to get the job. So if it's a requirement, then I think a lot yeah, of people I mean, would be able to get it. This incident really, uh, I, I want to learn it too. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not the only one, I'm sure. And I think it could happen anytime to mm-hmm. anyone close to you. And so you know, having this uh, certainly is uh, you know, beneficial. Uh, you can uh, contact your uh, nearby fire department or a nearby health clinic mm. uh, close to where you live to make inquiries regarding CPR trainings. There you have it. All right, guys, we're going to change the mood a bit here. Talk about something fun and exciting, unless you're our chief producer who is uh, very upset today uh, because his team lost to the SSG Landers. Uh, SSG Landers taking the Korean series title here. Uh, big deal here for if you're an SSG fan uh, because they claimed their first Korean series title in their second season in the Korean baseball organization. Although they can argue that before they were SSG Landers, they were SK Wyverns. And so... You know, is it their first title or is it not? I mean, there's a lot of debate going on, but still, <laughs> first under SSG Landers, Young. Uh, round us out with the sports news here. Uh, sure. Now, the Landers came from behind to beat the Kium Heroes 4-3 to in the sixth game of the best-of-seven Korean series in Incheon on Tuesday, sealing the title with four wins and two losses. Now, during the regular season, uh, the Landers became the first team in the 40-year history of the Korean Baseball League to complete a wire-to-wire victory, maintaining the lead through Throughout the season, they were really, really good throughout the season. Uh, And the feat came just two seasons after their launch following the purchase of SK Winers. Uh, Now, Landers outfielder Kim Gangmin was chosen as the MVP of the series with 42 out of 77 votes by a panel of reporters. And Kim, who was born in 1982, uh, the year professional baseball was actually launched in South Korea, uh, became the oldest Korean series MVP at 40 years old, uh, one month and 26 days, breaking the previous uh, record of 37 years, seven months and 18 days set by KT Wiz infielder Park Young Soo last year. You sure do feel old when you say the days and the uh, months. No, also yes. you feel old when you're saying a player like Kim Gang Min, who's I've been who I've been watching for years, is the oldest MVP. That's when you feel yeah. old. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but and also outfielder Chu Shin Soo, who is a former Major League Baseball player, finally also made his dream come true by winning a championship trophy. Trophy, which is a big win for the former Major Leaguer because. 
because uh, it's actually the first championship that he's won in his entire 20-some pro career. Uh, After the game, Chu said that he could now die without any regrets. (laughs) Also, Lander's owner, Chung Yong-jin, who helped the club win the title with aggressive investments, savored the victory with the players, crying tears of joy, and said that he wants to give all the honor to the fans. I'm just gonna say, when you have an owner like Chung Young Jin, and they spent a lot of money, uh, you know, putting in the the roster and the lineup there, it was mm-hmm. not a surprise that the SSG Landers uh, won the title there. But congratulations to them, guys! Thank you very much for coming in today with your reports. Please stay safe, and we'll see you guys again. Thank, thank you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application, or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.